when God commissioned Moses to be his spokesman, and Moses asked who he should say had sent him, God said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That Hebrew verb, I am, or to be, was later made into a noun, which Jews considered to be the proper name of God, but wouldn't speak for fear of mispronouncing, and thereby, in their mind, speaking it in vain. Well, English translators weren't that fearful and added some vowels uh, to the four Hebrew continents that make up the name and turned it into Jehovah or Yahweh. Most translators today simply use the word LORD in all caps in our Bibles rather than translate it. But God revealed his name as I am. God is the great I am, the one who has always been and will always be. That's how he revealed himself to Moses, and that's how Moses understood who had sent him. When Jesus sent out his disciples as apostles, they thought they knew him. They'd been with him for over a year. They knew him to be a great teacher. They knew him as a great miracle worker. They knew enough to call men to repentance, as Jesus had been doing, but they really did not know who he was, and they wouldn't fully understand that until after the resurrection. They had pretty much come to believe that he was the Messiah of promise, but they didn't really understand the nature of the Messianic kingdom or the role of the Messiah. They thought in Jewish terms of a political leader who would reestablish the kingdom of Israel to the way it had been during the reign of David. They didn't see Jesus as a spiritual leader who had come to give eternal life to all who would believe in him and to establish a spiritual kingdom that would last forever. They really didn't know who Jesus was, but they had been sent out as apostles with a message of repentance. And in our text for today, they've returned excited about all they had done and taught. We pick up our study in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while, for there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. The apostles were pretty proud of themselves. They reported to Jesus all they had done and taught, and they had been able to do everything Jesus had been doing. According to Matthew's account of their commission, Jesus had sent them out with the authority to preach, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, and to cast out demons. Now, it's not recorded that they actually raised the dead on this initial training tour, but they may have. 
We don't know all that they reported to Jesus, but they were no doubt excited about all they had done. And, and who wouldn't be? You know, how would you feel if a sick person miraculously was restored to health at your touch? How would you feel watching demons flee at your command or perhaps even seeing someone come back from the dead when you say, arise? This was amazing stuff that they were doing. They knew it. And so did everyone else. In fact, they had become almost as popular as Jesus himself. People were now, now following after them and keeping them so busy that like Jesus, they didn't have time even to eat. It was time for them all to get away from the crowds. It was time for debriefing and time for Jesus to further reveal himself to them. There was much they still needed to know about him before he would leave them and return to heaven. Well, Jesus apparently envisioned a quiet retreat with his disciples, a time alone with them. But the only time he would have alone with them would be on the boat ride to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. For as we see, the crowds followed them around the shore. And the people saw them going, and many recognized them, and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Jesus and the disciples most likely set out from Capernaum, where they had no doubt arranged to meet after the teaching tour. Capernaum was located on the populous northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they headed for a lonely place near Bethsaida on the less populated northeastern shore. Now, we're not absolutely sure the location of Bethsaida. And there may have actually been a couple of villages known as Bethsaida, which means the house of fishermen. And they were located apparently on the northern shore of the sea, one on maybe the east side, one on the west side. And that would explain why, why Luke says they withdrew to Bethsaida. And Mark says after their time there, Jesus sent them to the other side. To Bethsaida. So while we can't be really sure of their destination, it was probably some four to five miles across the northern tip of the sea. However, they may have never been totally out of view. For Mark says the people saw them going and apparently ran along the shoreline, gathering people from the cities along the way and got there ahead of them. By the time Jesus and his disciples got there, a great multitude was waiting for them. Now, Jesus would have had every right to be annoyed. He was trying to get away from the crowds. He needed some time alone with the disciples. But when he saw them, he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And since he is the good shepherd, he resigned himself to once again meeting the needs of the multitude 
And as Luke tells us, he welcomed them. Mark says he began to teach them many things. Matthew says he was healing them. As always, he was meeting their needs. And by evening, it became obvious they had another need that he would meet. For it was on this day that we see him feeding the 5,000. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, The place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go, look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them to all recline by groups on the green grass. And they reclined in companies of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 baskets, full baskets, of the broken pieces and also of the fish. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Now, of all Jesus' miracles, other than the resurrection itself, this is the only one that is recorded by all four gospel writers. So it must have been considered very important. And, as we'll note later, Jesus had hoped that the disciples would gain important insight into who he was by what took place here. So let's look at it with a view to learning more about the identity of Jesus. When evening came, the disciples were getting hungry. And they realized that the people had jogged around the lake without provisions. Surely they was as hungry as the disciples were. Perhaps Jesus should quit for the day and send everyone out to Mickey D's. Jesus' response to their suggestion shocked them. He simply said, you give them something to eat. According to John's gospel, Jesus then singled out Philip and asked, where can we get enough bread to feed everyone? Philip responded by basically saying, we can't afford it. Even if they had 200 denarii, 200 days wages, which they probably didn't have, even if they did have that much, they would be able only to purchase enough bread, if they could find it, to give everyone just a little. Philip didn't have a clue what they could do. And apparently he didn't think Jesus could do anything that they couldn't do. Jesus then asked the disciples, how many loaves do you have? They just stood there. No doubt with a dumb look on their face. They didn't have any. Jesus said, go look. And he sent them into the crowd of thousands to find out who had packed a lunch. After searching, Andrew came back with a lad who had five barley loaves and two smoked fish. 
But he said, what are these for so many people? But Jesus simply told the disciples to have everyone sit down in companies of hundreds and fifties, perhaps arranging them in 50 rows of a hundred each. He then took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and most likely offered a, a standard Jewish prayer of blessing. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then he broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to give to the people. Miraculously, the bread kept appearing in Jesus' hands. And the disciples passed out bread to everyone. Then he did the same thing with the fish. And everyone had all they wanted to eat. Now, some would have us believe that what this was was a miracle of sharing, that everyone simply shared what they had. Others suggest that the people were spiritually filled. Neither is true. Neither is true. Jesus made sure that we'd know this was a real material miracle by having the disciples pick up the leftovers and fill their lunch buckets with bread and fish. Mark notes that 5,000 men had been fed. Matthew says 5,000 men aside from women and children. No doubt the women and children were fed also. It was customary for men to eat apart from women and children and it may just have been the men who were in the 50 rows of 100 with the women and children kind of gathered around. John tells us of the people's response to the miracle. This is of a truth, the prophet who has come into the world. And then he tells us that Jesus perceived that they were intending to take him by force and make him king. Now, who wouldn't want a king who was compassionate and could miraculously feed his people and heal them and even raise them from the dead if they fell in battle? But Jesus hadn't come to be made king, and he hadn't fed them so they would just follow after him. As John makes clear, Jesus wanted them to understand that he was the bread of life, come down from heaven to give them eternal life. But they didn't get it. And neither did the disciples. In fact, they were apparently in danger of the excitement of the hour, so Jesus told them to get into the boat and get out of there. The next time they would see him, he would be walking on the water. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending away the multitude. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. 
And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and, and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were greatly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Jesus protected the disciples from the mood of the moment by getting them out of there. He knew they would be easily swayed by the crowds into thinking it was time for Jesus to assume his messianic role as, as they understood it. But it wasn't time, and they didn't understand it. So he sent them off in the boat and sent the crowds home. Things hadn't gone as he had planned. He had wanted to spend time alone with his disciples, but at least he could now have some time alone with his father. He went up into the mountain to pray and spent the night there. He, as tired as he was, I think he was more in need of spiritual refreshing than physical. But then sometime between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus saw the disciples out in the sea, straining at the oars. Whether it was a full moon or day was beginning to break, he could see that they weren't making much progress against the wind. While he had been praying, they had been rowing, fighting the wind on the sea and getting nowhere. John says after they had gone three to four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea. Mark says he came to them walking on the sea and intended to pass by them. What is meant by that, we, we can't be sure. Some suggest Jesus was simply walking by them to assure them that he was near. Others suggest he was coming close to see if they would invite him into the boat. Whatever the intent, the disciples saw him but didn't recognize him. In fact, they thought they were seeing a ghost and cried out. The word Mark uses is the same word he used to describe the unearthly shrieks of the demoniac. They were scared to death. They had no idea it was Jesus. They had left him alone on the shore. And it never dawned on them that the one who had calmed the storm at sea before when he was in the boat with them was now walking on the surface of the sea toward them. They really didn't understand who he was. He could see their fear and hear their screams, so he spoke. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, Matthew is the only one of the three who record this event to tell us of Peter's response. You remember, he said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And we all know of Peter's experience 
walking on the water, walking and sinking, and then being lifted up. When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And the disciples were greatly astonished. But why were they astonished? They had seen Jesus calm the wind and the waves before. Didn't they get it? Didn't they realize who Jesus really was? Apparently not. Mark even says they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Like the multitude, they thought it was really great that Jesus had fed them, but they didn't realize he did so to demonstrate the fact that he was the bread of life come down from heaven to give them eternal life. And they missed the significance of Jesus saying, it is I. And so do most translators. Literally, he said, I am. He used the same words here that he used when saying that many would come identifying themselves as I am to mislead many. He also used those words in John 8, 24, when he said, Unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sin. And in 8, 28, when he said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Now, translators muddy it up by adding the word he to it. You know, I am he. Jesus simply said, I am. I think he was trying to get the disciples to see that he was the great I am. Even before the crucifixion and resurrection, he wanted them to see that he was none other than the same God who identified himself to Moses as I am who I am. The one who is who has always been and will always be. Jesus is none other than the creator God come to earth in the form of a man. The disciples started to get it. Matthew records that after he got in the boat and the wind stopped, they worshiped him and said, you are certainly God's son. The time before, when he calmed the wind and the sea, they had simply said, who is this? <laughs> that even the wind and the sea obey him. They were getting there. They were beginning to see his unique relationship to God but they still didn't see him as God Almighty. The question we must ask ourselves today is, are we there yet? Do we really understand who Jesus is? He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. 
He's not just the prophet. And contrary to what our pluralistic society would have us believe, he is not just one of many ways to God. He is God. The only way to know God is to know him and to accept him for who he is, the bread of life. The source and sustainer of all life come from heaven to give us eternal life. The great I am. I am is his revealed name. And his name is wonderful. If you've not bowed before him, I beg you to do so today. Jesus is a friend, but he's more than a friend. Jesus is our Savior, but he's more than our Savior. Jesus is God. Jesus is the great I am. We need to acknowledge that. When we surrender to him, we acknowledge him to be God Almighty, creator God, the one who has always been and who will always be, and the one who is right now, our God. If you haven't done so, come and bow down at the feet of the great God 